So welcome to the next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, Gemma and I are delighted to have Ben Greensmith with us, Lord Chocolonely III and UK and Ireland MD of Tony's Chocolonely. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks very much for having me on. So let's start with the backstory of Tony's Chocolonely because no doubt you're on a very important mission um, and we'd love to hear all about how it started. Yeah, it's... um it's a uh, it take, takes us back kind of nearly nearly two decades. But um, uh, whenever I talk about Tony's, I call it the story of an unusual chocolate bar because we never started um, a business with a view of making chocolate. And actually, um, I don't know how many of your listeners have ever really thought about whether chocolate and where the cocoa comes from. But you've got to think of the cocoa industry as a, a it's like an hourglass, but but on its side. And on one hand, you've got billions of consumers like you and me who have probably love eating chocolate, never really think about where it comes from. On the other side of that hourglass, you've got um, most of the world's cocoa coming from two countries, so Ghana and the Ivory Coast. So 60% of the world's cocoa comes from those two countries in West Africa. And there you have um, about two and a half million farms, um, typically the size of a, a couple of football pitches, and they're small, smallholder operations and they're um, family uh, basically family businesses. And then in the middle, and this is this is the pinch point in the hourglass, you've got a handful of the big chocolate giants, uh, the kind of brand owners that you will know. So Mars, Nestle, Hershey, Lindt, Mondelez, so all the Cadbury brands, and um, a couple of the big producers who you might not have heard of. So um, Olam, Cargill, and, and Barry Calabau. Um, who incidentally we use. Um, and they keep the price of cocoa as low as possible so they can make as much money as possible. And that leads to massive structural problems in West Africa on those farms. So um, the farmers don't get paid enough for these big chocolate companies and they effectively are living in poverty. So there are today 1.6 million children who are working illegally on cocoa farms in West Africa because their parents have to can't afford to hire labour, so they have to take them out of school and effectively use them on their farms. And then you've got a minimum of 30,000 who are effectively kept as, as modern-day slaves. This is chocolate. It's a luxury that you know we all eat and enjoy, but no one really thinks or talks about where it comes from. And we, we exist to change that. And, and where Tony's comes in, I call it the story of an unusual chocolate bar. As you get back two decades, those numbers are still broadly the same. This problem has been has been around for for for, for, for decades and centuries. Um, and um, back in two thousand and and three, there were three Dutch journalists in the Netherlands um, who had a TV program called Curing Dienst van der Vaarde, which basically means food unwrapped or food uncovered. One of them is this guy, Chapkin, uh, the international translation for which is Tony. And he, um, he basically was sat one day on, on, a, on a Sunday leafing through the papers and he came across this statistic on, on page eight of, of his Sunday paper that basically said that he said there's nearly two million kids working illegally on cocoa farms in West Africa. It's a big problem, but there's a solution. It's like, well, this is crazy, right? There's two things I think that you know that, that struck him. One, why is this happening in you know in the year 2000? And two, why is this on page eight? Why is this not front page news? So he, him, and it, and and it, and his two colleagues were like, right, we're going to do, we're going to do. 
we're going to talk about this and we're going to do a program and we're going to do it on Coco and, and the issues. So, um, Tony's, I mean, they're quite, quite outspoken. Typically, they were looking at brand, food and drink claims, marketing claims with a fairly tongue in cheek view and, you know, phoning up companies and asking about the ingredients and the labels. But one, one of the things that, um, that Turn did is the first thing he did is he tried to speak to all the big chocolate companies because he, 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 he found that actually, um, a few years earlier, uh, so back in 2001, there was a something called the Harkin Engel Protocol, where um, all of the big chocolate companies um, were, I suppose, cajoled by two two senators in the US, one called Harkin, and one called Engel, and um, they rightly reasoned that if 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 the flow of cocoa and the pricing of cocoa is controlled, you know, 90 to 95% by these big companies, then ultimately we can get them to solve it. So if we get them. We get the directors of these companies round a table um, and agree to rid the cocoa industry of the worst forms of slavery and child labor. Then, you know, those are the people that can do it. So we'll do it. And they got them around a table and, and they did this just that. And they signed an agreement. But what, what uh, it transpired is, and you can, you can go online and look, look up the Harkin Engel protocol, or it's commonly known as the chocolate protocol. Um, and you've got all the signatories there in black and white. But um, it was a non binding agreement. So, um, Turn didn't know this. A couple of years later, he, he wanted to find out the progress that had been made. So, he basically phoned up all the big chocolate companies. He flew to Nestle's head office in uh, Lake Geneva um, and he tried to speak to them and said, what are you doing? What progress are you making? And they basically buried their heads, uh, said, it's too complicated. It's too hard. People are so poor. We can't do anything about it. He was like, okay, well, that, that's not great. So he took matters into his own hands. He bought a load of chocolate from these big chocolate companies, so about 10 bars, and he filmed himself eating it. And then he, he phoned the police and because um, he, he reasoned that he was knowingly financing slavery and child labor by, um, he knew about it, therefore he was buying it, so therefore he was financing it and he's part of the problem. Police hung up on him. Thought he was thought he was a crank, as you'd expect. Um, but he he didn't stop there, and he then um, hired a lawyer, and he prosecuted himself for the exactly the same crime, for basically being a chocolate criminal. And he flew out to West Africa, uh, and he found four former child slaves, and he got them to testify against him. And he flew one of them back to court in Amsterdam, um, and basically prosecuted himself for yeah being a chocolate criminal. And uh, the court case went on for two years. Uh, Tony didn't go to jail. The judge said to him, look, you, morally you have a point and this shouldn't be happening, but I can't draw a link between the cocoa that those boys have produced and the cocoa that you've eaten. And also if I make an example of you, it's going to set a precedent for everyone else in the Netherlands. So Tony, Turn or Tony didn't go to jail Um but off the back of it, he, he as a PR stunt to raise awareness, he made this bar that I'm holding up, which is our, our red bar, our milk bar, in a bright red wrapper. Everything else was, um, was blue or purple at that time in the Netherlands. And so it was a, a bit of a, an alarm bell and a wake-up call and a bright red wrapper. And he called it Tony's Chocolonely. Tony, because it was his name. And the lonely element is because um, 
it, the time, it was just Tony fighting the lonely battle to change the industry. He made a few thousand bars and, and, and basically they sold out in, in hours. And um, it was at that, dis- that point that we, we, as a business, well, decided that actually, look, you know, if we can do this and demonstrate that you can make delicious tasting chocolate that does involve exploitation, then the best way isn't by doing a PR stunt or a, becoming a, a, a charity or an NGO, but actually showing those big companies yeah. that we can do it and saying to them, look, if we're doing it and we can do it and we can do it sustainably and we can run it as a business and we can do it profitably, then there's a business model that you guys can copy. And that's what we've been doing ever since. Um, and so, yeah, Tony's has now been going for, for, for 16 years. And the whole reason that we exist is to raise awareness of the issue of slavery and child labor in the cocoa industry and demonstrate that chocolate can be made differently. And ultimately, we want all chocolate to be made the way that we make chocolate. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> remarkable. I mean, remarkable. that's quite a sobering sort of story and insight into the world that we kind of live in, isn't it? And I don't know, empty promises. Let's talk a bit more about empty promises because, um, you know, there is just too many pledges and people sat around tables, big CEOs sat around tables and organisations saying we need to do more, but essentially not getting round to it or ending, as you've said, with just saying it's too complicated, we can't do it, but you're clearly demonstrating that it can be done. So, you know, there was a Netflix documentary which, um, you know, was looking at greenwashing and, you know, your organisation has called out that more needs to be done. So, you know, what what is it going to take to, do you think, to demonstrate or to get businesses to start changing their models? I mean, and not just in the chocolate industry, this goes across probably every industry out there. Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really good question. And I think, um, I think there are so many, there are so many challenges, I think, in the world. Um, um, But I, I, I think, you know, business, plays a crucial role and people in businesses and business leaders play a crucial role in helping to solve some of those issues. And the biggest, I think one of the biggest challenges, if you look specifically at Coco, is is consumer awareness. Yeah. And consumers just and shoppers and people. I mean, I I wasn't aware of the I've been at Tony. So I, you know, I was the, the first my job is to build the the issue awareness and make sure everyone aware is aware in the UK and build that brand awareness and get the distribution so that people we can give people a, a viable and credible option to the to the to you know to the problematic chocolate if I'm being blunt that that's out there. Um, but the one of the biggest problems is that consumers and people aren't aware of those those issues. Now it's our job as a, as a team to, to to change that, and we do we do things in in different ways. We don't spend much on above the line marketing, but we do stunts and, and PR and things that, you know, probably grabs the headlines that other companies can't do. But still in the UK, one of the, one of the measures that we, I have as, a, as and my team, uh, we measure every year is, is what percentage of the UK population is aware that there is issues with slavery and child labor in, in West Africa. And when, when we started a few years back, it was, it was in the teens, it's now 34%. But if if you look to the Netherlands, where we've been going for 16 years, and we're now the biggest um, chocolate bar brand over there, um, it's 75%. So, you know, I think you look at that, and those two things go hand in hand, right? Because I think if people, 
are aware, yep. then they can make a conscious choice. But at the moment, we just need to make more people aware. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you're absolutely right. People, we don't think, I haven't thought for years and years, it was only when I started to buy into Tony's and, and understand what you were doing and wow, and then start to dig around and look at, at more things that when Gemma and I were researching and writing for the book. So we're only talking about a few years ago, you know, um, that it started to become more of a conscious aspect. The other aspect, of course, is the employees working within those organizations as well. I just wonder how many of them are wholly aware of the slavery and the challenges and the the pricing and the supply chain squeezes that are actually really going on because it's a little bit like working for the oil industry, isn't it? The fossil fuel industry. People are waking up to, whoa, I'm now understanding just how toxic this is and I don't want to be complicit as part of this. And we're seeing people walking out of these institutions. I just wonder whether or not it's got to that level of awareness from an employee perspective uh, when it comes to the chocolate industry, yeah, I, no, I, I, it's 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 a really good shout, and I think it's um it definitely hasn't. Um, I think that um, I you know I know firsthand from <laughs> one of my um one of my best mates who used to used to work at, at one of those companies and um you know we when we'd go out for a few beers we we you talk about it but you don't want to get too much into it but you know he, they, they, you, you're told what the people and the company wants you yeah. to hear and that's what you play back time and time again and when you know we find we find this when we i was shocked when i came to the to the, you know when we're sitting down with 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 a lot of retailers we're talking about this and you know the buyers know a lot about their categories but they're fairly they're fairly transient in their nature and they can be there for a year or 18 months, two years. But our buyers don't know about this. Shareholders don't know about this. Employees don't know about this. No. So, um, but we know, you know, I, I see this as well. The draw of Tony's that and a company, or, you know, that has a really serious mission and is, is, is really trying to do something different. And there are loads of other great businesses out there doing really similar things in other fields. Like it, it is a real draw. And I want to be proud of it in 40 years time. If I look back, if I, you know, I'm 44, less hope is, I don't know, but around that number would be good. But, um, you know, I want to look back and, and, and when I'm sat on my rocking chair and think, Do you know what, I'm, I'm bloody proud that I, I kind of use my time to, yeah. to what I'm good at to, to, you know, I got paid fairly and I made a bit of difference. And I think um, increasingly, I think more and more people will be looking to follow that same route. Yeah. And Michelle and I are absolutely on the same mission of being able to say that our purpose is way beyond ourselves. And you know what? That's what we need to start focusing on. So quick question. So since since you've been around and since you've you know created this business model and you've started showing, I guess, the industry that it can be done... Have you seen any progress, do you think, in the industry at all? Have there been any shifts? There are shifts, yeah. Um, if, I mean, if you take a step back and look at the, the total numbers, you've, you've broadly got the same amount of problems. You've got the same amount of kids working illegally, you know, um, just, just over 1.5 million. So it's definitely not happening fast enough. Um, there, is a, there is some progress in certain areas uh, but the root cause of all of all of the issues the root no matter what the big chocolate companies say everything goes back and we say that the price is the key fertilizer for everything else because mm. if the farmers are getting paid fairly for their cocoa 
then, you know, effectively it, it basically starts with that. And we, we have five sourcing principles, but that pricing element is, is the most Im, important. And actually, sadly, what we've seen over the last few years is actually the price of cocoa has dropped. And that, what you see, what you don't see as a consumer is the price doesn't get any cheaper for you. In fact, it continues to go up. The farmer doesn't get more. The farmer gets yeah, less. Profit. And a few few years ago, it dropped by forty percent. Basically, the farmer farmer's income dropped by thirty six percent, and it all just goes to the people in the middle. So there is stuff happening. You know, there are proof points that we have that show that what we're doing is working. But ultimately, I mean, bluntly, no not enough progress and it is continues to be a lot of empty promises a lot of self-accreditation so you can pick up a bar of you know your favorite chocolate brand and on there it says you know source sustainably and and there, there is no definition for, for for sustainable um and that's you know uh, that is greenwashing and that dupes consumers and that doesn't help so um yeah, that's a, probably a long-winded answer to, to basically say, no, not enough progress. But there is a, there is a solution. And, um, but we, I mean, we're, we're, we're small, right? We can't do it alone. But what we say to, and look, we're by no means perfect, but what we say to those, those companies is these are our five sourcing principles. We will, we will allow anyone, we will help anyone to copy them, big company, small company. And ultimately having that kind of open book sourcing policy and yeah. saying, this is what we've learned. Please copy it is the way that we, we feel we can change the industry. Yeah. And that's a, a wonderful, I, I remember reading your sustainability report and uh, you'd even called out some incidents of modern slavery that you'd found in your own supply chains. And, you know, that was a bit of a surprise to you guys because of somebody you were working with or something. I, I, I mean, it was in an article, but, uh, you know, but the transparency was so applauded by what you were doing that once you know about something, you can do something about it. Whereas for many others, it's just totally ignored. Yeah, well, there's two, two things in there. Firstly, we've never found an instance of, of slavery um, on any of our partner cooperatives, but we do, and we, we always have, and we've always been very transparent of, on this. We, um, we will always, you will find instances that you're not happy with relating to child labour. Now, um, the industry average for child labour is, um, it's basically 48%, so nearly nearly half the households in cocoa growing communities will have an instance of child labor where we've been working with our partner cooperatives um for a period of time that that level comes down to 3.9 percent and that is really important and it's really important that we are transparent with that stuff because we you have you have to look for the issues in order to solve them if we're not looking for those issues and being open with them then we're we're denying the problem and the, the problem is there and if you think there are one and a half million kids working illegal on cocoa farms and um, and we found last year about um 1400 additional cases uh, the prior year we had a total of about just under 400 cases last year as we grow and we onboard new co-ops that went up by about 1400 uh, cases um if you think we're finding that and we are a business turning over 100 million euros, give or take, um, then you can imagine the size of the issue for, for the companies that are 
two, three, four, five hundred times our size. And um, you know, we we want to be transparent and we want to show that it's you've got to look for it in order to solve it. And actually what we do see is a lot of companies saying it's it doesn't happen. It's you know it doesn't happen on our farms. But um <laughs> They're not taking enough accountability and responsibility for it, and that's why we have a hundred percent traceable cocoa in our in our in our bars, so that we can say we know where this cocoa's come from. And that's a conscious, isn't it? That's a conscious focus of your organisation for for that level of transparency. Isn't there any legislation, Ben, out there? Isn't there any regulation legislation to make these organisations more accountable? No, sad, sadly not, and that's something that we constantly push for. Um, but um, there isn't enough legislation. Uh, you know, that's another area that can help. Is you know, governments getting on board to force big companies to take more accountability and responsibility for for anything that's going into their products, um, even if they don't own that part of the value chain. Um, but unfortunately, there's there's not, and that's that's what the company enables the companies to hide behind because most cocoa is bought from a big faceless pile. Is this not not the same with Tony's, but it's called Mass Balance. And that is just like a big pile of beans that they basically pick from. And what that enables them to do is, I suppose, effectively hide behind these this big faceless piles of beans and then not look at what's happening on the other side and take responsibility. But we would, we would like to see all companies having to take responsibility and do due diligence for every aspect of their value chain, whether or not they, they own it or not. But it, it's not happening. It's not happening fast enough. And then even a couple of years ago, we, there was some progress made in the, in the EU. But what we saw is the big companies then lobbying the governments to get everything watered down. And it, you just see this time and time and time again. And it's just suppressing the problem and kind of keeping it under wraps. And it's like, it's re- it, do you know what? It's really eye-opening being in, in this part of this aspect of food and drink and seeing what goes on because... It does. It sometimes you do think, you know, that you 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 do despair. Yeah. I yes. Bet. Yes. I think some. I, we often say when we talk about how we've immersed ourselves in the sustain world sustainability for the last three years. There's day. I, I have eco overwhelm. I have I have weeks where I just walk around with my head like down, and I I just I think oh god, and then, but then you keep going. Um, you mentioned marketing, so. Because and marketing versus, I guess, advertising in a way, because you you do a lot of marketing and and marketing for education and and activities that get you noticed and PR stunts and you did the one with the advent calendar where there was there was chocolate missing and wasn't there, which got everyone just went furore about and it was on the BBC. <laughs> um, what is that a deliberate um, sort of strategy to to stay away from the advertising piece and go more down the marketing route? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that we um it is it is a deliberate strategy. We've never typically spent on above the line. Um, we. I mean, there's probably we have this big debate in our business year every year. We'll probably keep having it as well. You know, when, what what do we do? What don't we do? Why don't we do it? But um, we there's, there's probably a few things in that. We we believe that actually our bar is the is probably the best vehicle and storyteller for what we're trying to tell. Um, we have it's why our bars unequally divided. When you open the bar, a bar of Tony's, it's not uniform, um, and and that is because the chocolates industries. Um, unfairly divided so our bars unfairly divided and we rely on the wrapper and we're very generous and that is how we basically tell the story of the issue 
issues, tell the story of Tony's. And we say to people, look, share our chocolate, share our story. And hopefully people are so shocked by why they bought what they hear that when they're out, they'll talk to people and, and, and share that message. And so we rely heavily on, on, on that. And I think there's two things in there. One is that it, we can't compete with those big budgets. Um, you know, we need to show that we can run a business uh, profitably and, and we can have a model that can be copied. Um, spending tens of millions on getting that message across, you know, when that could be going elsewhere, I think yeah. is arguably a, you know, a, a, a point that kind of we would, we would stand behind. And it's a bloody complicated message as well. You know, if, if you think how long it took me to, and maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'll waffle a bit, but if you, if you think how long it took me to tell you the story of Tony's and the problems and then the answer some of the questions you've got, that is done much, much better on a one to one basis. So it is for us, you know, we, you know, for many brands, the mission is their, their, you know, their marketing. But for us, our marketing is our mission. Everything that we do started yep. with that mission. And that's what we talk about. Um, interestingly, what we find though is 89% of people, so the vast, vast majority of people buy Tony's because they like the look of it or it's bloody delicious. Um, 11% buy us solely for the mission. So, you know, if I look at, if I look at what resonates on our, on our social feeds and, and, and some of the stuff, you know, it's always the bright bars that draw people in and get them hooked. And, and then they find out the story, uh, rather than necessarily the mission. And I think, I think it's like, if you're, you know, we've got, I, 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 I'm biased. It's a bloody, it's the best chocolate, you know, high cocoa content. There's no palm oil. There's no plastic. It is, it's my, I mean, it's delicious. It's delicious. Um, it, I, I think it looks great. It looks great. And then fundamentally it's, you know, it, it's, it's doing three things in one, which yeah. is also have, having an impact at the beginning of the, of the value chain, which is what we want. But yeah, that's why we typically don't, spend on on above the line on advertising and we, we we did you know we do stunts one of my favorites is a couple of years ago i don't know if you saw this but we the big chocolate companies always say to us we can't do it it's too complicated so what we did is we said well we'll make your chocolate using our sourcing principles and then we just <laughs> we copied their packaging we changed <laughs> The, to look like Tony's in the same colours. Uh, we changed the shape of the bars to look like theirs, but we've sailed very close to the wind. And um, it's, that's the kind of thing that we can do to get, and that makes it fun, right? Yeah. Coming to work. A lot of um, purpose-driven campaigns don't have the same impact, sadly, as as just selling a product and, and advertising a product. And I think, you know, this is where we need to to be smarter as marketers and think beyond the products and services we sell. And, and you've, you've got a, a, a product that, that also does the marketing and markets your mission um, for you. And I think it's a really, really clever way of doing that. And then that purpose and why you're doing it starts to come through and the education piece comes through. It's just a way of how do we speed all of these things up so that people en masse stop looking at price um, and believing, you know, the labels on things that organisations are doing the right thing when they're not. So what's next for, for Tony's um, in the cause for driving change? I mean, specifically, I mean, in the UK, we're, we're just getting started. So we're, you'll see us in a lot more places over the next six to, to eight months. I think um, we, have, um, we have some really exciting news in the next two or three months that I can't share, um, which uh, I just think is going to be fantastic for Tony's and our our mission. 
Brilliant. Um, and the issue awareness, uh, and I think you'll, you know, I think you'll love it, and I think your your listeners will see that as something really, really impactful. Um, and then, you know, if we're, you know, if we're really going to change this cocoa industry and the chocolate industry, then it, we need to be operating in all those places that all of the big chocolate companies are so that we can continue to take market share off them and make it as uncomfortable for them to, to keep doing what they're doing with relative impunity. Um, so you'll see us in more stores uh, on more packs and um, yeah, in, in, in more, on more usage occasions. And uh, um, yeah, I mean that those, those, those are the big things. So a lot more of what we, what we've kind of, tried to do over the last 16 years fantastic and of course i notice you're you work you're in oxfam stores and things so collaboration is clearly a, a great point for for the work that you do as well so collaborating with like-minded folk and and spreading the word that way is uh, is is no doubt part of your penetration strategy shall we say <laughs> Yeah, we've yeah we we we've always said that there there are three key um, uh, targets for us. There's causes, so that will be the, the you know places like Oxfam and and, and the, the more cause related people who really will buy into our mission. Uh, the, and then the, we have the foodies and 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 then the trendies, so the early adopters. And our our strategy in the UK, um, we've been going, we've been selling three and a half years now. Um, has has been to very much build and focus very much on getting in front of those those shoppers and we've said no to a lot of stuff but we're now we're at that stage where i think we've proven the model and we've proven that people really it, there's a real affinity with what we're trying to do in the uk market more so than we've seen in any other market i think globally um so so now we just need to do a lot more of it and a lot faster. Fantastic. And it is it is a delicious product and it's messaging and the communication, bringing the customer along with you on that journey by educating and co-creating that education and awareness. I'm surprised by those statistics you shared, Ben, that only 11% buy because of the cause. I mean, it's great, isn't it, that everybody loves the chocolate and, um, but, but, you know, that cause piece, even my children, I mean, okay, they're not, children children 16 and 20 are tony's advocates you know it's kind of like that's the only chocolate they will now eat you know it's kind of they, it's it's been ingrained enough into their mindset but you know that that education piece is is phenomenal so a lot of that is to do with communication and of course our listeners largely marketers and organizations and our call to marketers is to really think about the messaging what they're communicating ensuring they're not greenwashing to kind of you know we have this manifesto where we call our marketers to say Educate yourself on the landscape that you are operating in. Educate yourself about the products and services that you are selling and really understand the reality of what's going on and have the courage to call out or question and query anything that doesn't feel right, sit right, so that you can be that, that kind of nuisance in a, in a charming way to hopefully drive progress or certainly ask some, some questions. So from a marketing perspective... Um, we're we're championing marketers to kind of wake up to the communication, to the advertising, to the marketing, to the messaging that that they're putting out there. Because I remember speaking to um, 
Cressy Wesling on here when we interviewed Elvis and Cressy. And, and, and she said, you know, if marketers took the voice away, these brands wouldn't be able to push those false, false messages out there, you know, the versions of the truth. So, so our view is marketing's got a big role to play. So our first question to you, Ben, we like to round up the, the, the podcast with three questions then, is what's your view, can marketing save the planet? I think it has a very big role to play. Um, if I if I think about everything that you've just discussed and everything we've everything you've just said, then 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 yeah. I mean, ultimately, it it's, it drives people's behaviour, um, and I think you know brands marketers, hundred percent need to do their part. And I think if we have curious marketers who are asking questions, then it it, it definitely helps add. Add weight to, to to the fire, and I, I yeah, hundred percent agree that yeah, we be be curious, and there's so there is so much greenwashing that goes on out there that um, I think you know pe- pe- people need to to challenge and push, and I think sometimes that will be uncomfortable, but ultimately, I think that's a combination of of, of ways that things will start to change. So I think yeah. 100%. I think just like it's maybe fueled a little bit of overconsumption and, you know, trends and fashions, then it can go the other way too. And question number two for you is what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? So 10 years isn't, 10 years, 10 years is a, it's a long time actually, isn't it? But um, I, I think we're, I, I really think we're on the cusp of something that, that I think there's a starting to be a change in, in society. And I think, um, Maybe I'm naive. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe part, you know, when you're so into something, you maybe, <laughs> maybe I've lost sight of what's going on. But I really think that, you know, business, there's, there will be more transparency. I think there will be more truth. And I think consumers, governments need to start to hold businesses and business leaders to, to account um, for the choices that they're making. Uh, I would hope, I would hope to see that. Um, I don't think from, if I look at the last two decades, I don't think, I don't think enough will be happening. So I think I'll, I'll be sat here saying, yeah, there's been some progress. We've got some great companies who are now part of Tony's open chain and there's more impact, but I think we're still going to be looking at those big companies saying, come on guys, you need to sort your shit out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And finally, Ben, if you could give just one piece of advice to others around getting started with more sustainable business, more sustainable marketing, what would it be? I think, you know, if someone's starting a business from scratch, like, I, I mean, I take the point of Tony's, we, we haven't had to reverse engineer what we do into, into our business model. We started with that. Um, and I think if you, if, if you've got entrepreneurs or, or, or people that are out there at the beginning, then I would say, build that into your business and know your supply chain and know what you're doing and who your partners are, know them inside out from day one, because it's a, a lot, lot easier. And I think for anyone else, I would just echo what you say, which is, it's just, just, be curious and do your research and you know you spend so much of your your time in work with companies with other people uh, i think you know you sh- we all need to want to be proud of what we do and i think um i know you know maybe it's easy for me we've got to pay the bills and stuff but i think that curiosity and and as a consumer as a as an employee as a shareholder whatever i think is so so important if 
we're gonna if we're gonna change things. And 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 everything that we do, the company that choose where we work, the money that we spend is effectively a vote for the type of world we want to live in. And I think um, consumers, we have so much power, employees. So don't think you're too small. Yeah, 100%. That's a wonderful way to round up. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. 